When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Having a terrible week, we'll hang in there because we are back with your favorite Avatar The Last Airbender rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Muhammad, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Jacob Red. Jacob, how are you doing on this fine evening? I'm doing good, Zach. Uh, you know, I've been a little bit out of it the past week or so. Uh, I've gotten addicted to Sudoku, but you know what? It's fine. <laughs> it's all right. We're doing okay. I'm I'm a pretty good Sudoku player myself, so that's kind of interesting for you to, you to say. That's cool. Really? Yeah, okay. I love Sudoku. That's like my go-to game when I'm just like bored and have nothing to do. I got my Sudoku app. I'm always trying to beat my fastest times. And uh, See, yeah. Okay. So the, uh, wow, I can't believe that we're uh, getting started on such a great note. I, I've been doing the same thing. They they like time you on this app. I've only played before on like. Uh, you know, like a little book that I had when I was a kid. Yes, yes. Um, but now that they time me on an app, I was like, all right, well, I, you know, I got to, you know, be internally competitive and try to beat myself. I feel like I'm extremely slow, though. My fastest time was like one minute on the hard difficulty and then what? one minute and 50 on the extreme difficulty. I can double check that. A minute yeah. and 50 seconds? On the hardest difficulty. Yeah, I think so. Let me see. History. Yeah, so a minute and 44 on the extreme difficulty, and then on the hard difficulty, a minute and 55. But I feel like I've done better, even better. But on this phone, it hasn't saved my fastest times because I got a new phone. I can't even comprehend what you're talking about. Literally, it takes me like a minute to get accustomed to the thing. Oh, it's not in focus. No, I, I can see the time. I can see that it starts at the one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, that's insane. Like, I literally, I take, like, that long to even, like, get my bearings in the puzzle and, like, understand what I'm doing. And, I'm and like, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, I just bounce out when I know I'm going to get, like, above two minutes. I just end the puzzle and start a new one because <laughs> I want to beat my time. This is, uh, this is crazy. Yeah, no, I'm pretty good at Sudoku. It's my game. I know it's kind of an old white people game, but it has my heart. So there you go. Uh, wow. Well, I, this is a shocker. Uh, you know what? We learn new things about each other every week. This is one that I'm very excited. We've been podcasting for more time than it would take for you to finish a hard uh, Sudoku, like in the, the last three minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, the hard Sudokus are pretty easy. The extreme is where it gets a little difficult. Hard is not too hard. 
Wow. You heard it here first. Sudoku King. I cannot believe this. I've done a hard, oh, sorry to interrupt, but I've done a hard puzzle in a minute and two seconds, I think was my fastest time. Cause I remember my goal was to get under one minute. And then what were you saying? Well, so one of my things said like, uh, oh, you know, you're faster than 80% of people. And I was like, so proud. And I was thinking like, who is possibly faster than me? I was like, 20% of people are faster than this. I was like, that's crazy. And here I am talking to one right now. <laughs> Yep. What can I say? I'm just a Sudoku king. Yeah, I've been playing for years. I used to always play in the newspaper in high school. We'd have to like bring reading for one of my classes and I always just bring the newspaper and do Sudoku. That's hilarious. All right. Well, you know what? Uh, I cannot believe this. This has been, this has been quite a trip we've gone down in the first few minutes, but, uh, sadly, we're not here to talk about Sudoku. Uh, although maybe I should get some tips and tricks from you a little bit later. Uh, we're here to talk <laughs> sure. about Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh, you know, people mastering their crafts, uh, doing the best that they can. Uh, there's some connection to Sudoku. Yeah, I wish uh, I wish there was more connection to Sudoku. Then I'd feel more in touch with my Avatar side. I wish like being good at Sudoku translated to like having Avatar-esque abilities to transcend things. So yeah, I wish they were more related, but there you go. Yeah, well, uh, I am literally so surprised right now. I, I can't believe it. Uh, okay, well, you know what? In a few years, I'll be back. I'll be as good as you at Sudoku. I'll be uh, sub one minute 30 on the hard. That's the goal. Nice. Nice. I think you can do it. I believe in you. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, until then, you know, I'll just, I'll talk about my favorite uh, kids TV show. You know what? Actually, when I was watching Avatar, here's a connection. When I was watching Avatar is about the last phase of my life where I was really into Sudoku. I had a whole Sudoku book uh, and I would like carry it around with me. Nice, nice. Wow. I mean, when was the last time I was really into Sudoku? Honestly, I never stopped playing Sudoku. Like I've since high school, I've always had a Sudoku app on my phone. So I can't say I've I've grew out of the phase because I'm just still in the Sudoku phase. I'm just always playing it. It's a it's a good phase to be in. You know, the thing that got me to do it is Nicole Horn one time just randomly tweeted out like uh something about like Sudoku. And I was like, oh, like uh, you know, if Nicole's doing Sudoku, I should do it. I started looking up, I started playing Sudoku and I haven't stopped for like a month now. So we got to thank uh, TikTok Nicole. Yeah, I mean, if Nicole's playing Sudoku, it must be pretty cool in, in style. So there we go. Sudoku right? for the cool kids. We we have uh, Nicole and Zach both playing Sudoku. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a real popping thing. I don't know if it matters as much that I'm playing it. I'm nowhere near as popular as Nicole, but hey. Why not? Yeah. I'll take the praise. I, I don't know. I'm. Uh, I feel like you should be pretty popular. You know, beating the beating the people in or beating the puzzles in a minute and thirty. The tweet was on November twenty seventh, so it's one month coming up on my Sudoku uh, obsession. She tweeted, "Sexy people do Sudoku puzzles. I don't make the rules." And I thought, well, <laughs> I guess I'll do Sudoku. <laughs> Damn, I might be people's sexiest man of the year 2022 if uh, I keep playing Sudoku at this rate. Wow. All right. Well, calling your shot already. (laughs) Uh, Insane. But there you go. Uh, Sudoku. Sudoku. Maybe that's what we should do after uh, we're done with Avatar, Zach. We should just do a Sudoku podcast where we talk about the daily puzzle. I'd be down. I'd be down. I'm sure that there are like crossword pod, uh, podcasts where they talk about like the New York Times crossword. 
I was always so horrible at the New York Times crossword. I don't know why. I could do like the local Canadian newspaper crossword so easily, but then the New York Times crossword always stumps me. Did, did you try it on like a Monday or a Tuesday? Because the puzzles are easier earlier in the week. Oh, I had no idea. No, I haven't. Maybe we can do one together one of these days. Yeah. See, if you catch it on like a, a Thursday or a Friday, like it starts getting hard and like, Lord help you. If you catch that on a Saturday, you're in trouble. Like if you were like, oh, let me just try out the puzzle and you start on a Saturday, then then you're really you're in for it. But, yeah, I might have started on a Sunday, but knowing me or Saturday, but knowing me, I probably started on Monday and still couldn't do it. <laughs> no, no, no. You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. I think that uh, you'll be able to figure it out. Uh, okay. You know, they even have an app that can track how fast you are. I'm sure you'll be finishing it in a minute and 30 seconds. No, no, no. Sudoku was always my game for the speed. Avatar, not so much. I mean, not Avatar, the crossword, not so much. Yeah, well, definitely not Avatar either. I don't think you can <laughs> speed run Avatar very well. Um, maybe we'll have to speed run it if we keep talking about Sudoku the whole time, though. True, true. Let's get into this episode. So, book one, part 18. So, uh, actually, I forget the title of the episode. Look at that. Souls and Comics, part one, The Phoenix King. How could I forget about Ozai's honorific that he placed upon himself? Great title to the episode. I'm excited to get into it. Let's start it up. Yeah, we'll be talking about The Phoenix King, uh, a very intimidating title. And we'll also be talking about The Old Masters uh, in this in this podcast. So we'll be talking about part one and part two. We can jump right into The Phoenix King. Um, I, I guess I'm just going to keep saying it like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was Phoenix King. about that. The Phoenix King. Just feels like uh, it feels like you have to give it a lot of weight behind it because it's very important. No, it does. It's got like that gravitas that you need. So yeah, I'm yeah. excited. Speaking of gravitas, we start off with Aang and Zuko. Uh, we're trying to get Aang to roar like a a tiger dillo, um, which just sounds so scary. Like it just sounds intimidating. If it's a tiger that can roll up into an armadillo shell, it really is. Uh, that's going to be quite quite scary. Yeah, but it depends if it's tiger-sized or armadillo-sized. That's what makes it less Ooh. scary. If it's yeah, armadillo-sized, no. then it's not as scary, right? Because then it's just like smaller than a cat. But if it's the size of a tiger and it can roll into an armadillo ball, then watch out. You got yourself a problem there. Yeah, I have to imagine that it's tiger-sized. I like, you know, it would be just very embarrassing if it was armadillo-sized. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't think Zuko would be using it as an example if it was not tiger size. So you're right about that, probably. Yeah, exactly. The the smaller one is like um, a lion mixed with like I don't know a rat. Like that one's like actually rat size, so it's not that scary. Oh, okay. The tiger Perfect. mixed with the armadillos, all kinds of large. Um. Anyway, so huge uh, tiger dillo roar. Uh. You know what? I gotta say. Uh, you know, I did a bunch of chores today. I was pretty bored in my house. Um, whenever Zuko said, I said roar, I also let out a roar in my house. <laughs> and then I turned to like look around and I was like, what did I just do? Like, what, what was this for? Can you demonstrate your roar on the podcast right now? You know, I think it might blow out the mic, but I'll go ahead and try. Uh, all right. <clears throat> let me get, let me get ready. Well, you can do a quieter version just so it doesn't blow up the mic. It doesn't. Oh, I was, I was going to do full, full volume. I'll do a quieter version. Ready? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of Shrek 4. There's a scene where a kid's like, do the roar. And now I'm that kid saying, do the roar. And you did it. What'd you look I, like? 
I'm not sure that I went on my Shrek journey all the way to Shrek 4. I don't I don't have uh, this memory at all. Damn, I saw Shut Up Tim tweet about it not too long ago. I, I think I only watched the first 20 minutes of Shrek 4, but that was in the first 20 minutes, so mm-hmm. I can reference that. Oh, there's a clip online. Uh, Shrek Forever After, Do the Roar from 2010. Do the Roar. I just remember that kid's voice <laughs> in my head. Um, okay, well, yeah, apparently his name is Butterpants. <laughs> Sounds about right. Butterpants, the annoying kid. Annoying kid, indeed. Uh, anyway, so, uh, does a nice little roar. Uh, his roar is actually pretty intimidating the second time. He's got fire going out of his mouth and hands going about 15 feet. So scary that it scares away Momo. Uh, yeah, this was, this was a lot. I, I think this is a good intimidation tactic. Yeah, and Aang's firebending has come a long way since season one when he's like burning Katara. Now he's able to bend huge flames and roar and spit flames out of his mouth and arms. And yeah, his firebending has come a really long way. Yeah, I mean, it helps when you learn from a literal dragon. I mean, that really gives you a leg up there. So, uh, you know, not not too bad for himself there. But No, that's true. 100% learning from a literal dragon. That's facts. Like, yeah, yeah the dragon is just the best teacher you could possibly have. I know. It's it's kind of a cheat code. It's like, all right, like uh, learning from a dragon is just like an automatic dub. Uh, another thing that sounds like an automatic dub is a cool glass of watermelon juice. I absolutely love watermelon like my favorite thing is like it's too hot outside you'd go you get a nice refreshing slice of watermelon it's just it hits the spot so when Katara said nice cool glass of watermelon juice I have to say I, I, I salivated as much as Akiva when he hears pickles <laughs> that's a deep cut reference but one I appreciate <laughs> see when it comes to watermelons I'm not the biggest water I mean I like watermelons I don't love them like you seem to love them it's just like it's just it hits the spot in a way that's just very refreshing i like how messy they are i actually think that's like a boon for them uh so I, i'm a big fan what what is your go-to fruit then zach mm, bananas i think i just mm. love bananas yeah yeah i i agree you know can't go wrong with a good banana yeah they're just so sweet and filled with like gmos and a bunch of good stuff so <laughs> You know, that's not the thing that comes to mind myself when I think of bananas. I'm not like, ooh, those genetic modifications taste so good. Yeah, that's what comes to my mind. I'm like, mmm, these GMOs, yummy. Wow, what are other foods where you're so excited for the GMOs? Um, When you're eating, like, Chinese noodle bowls or, like, those little bowls, I'm like, yummy, GMOs, tasty. Wow, all right. Well, I'll have to appreciate the GMOs next time I take a little bite. Uh, yeah, I guess like bananas are pretty genetically modified. They used to be pretty small, but, um, you know what? I, I, I don't even mind. I don't mind that they uh, are genetically modified. I love them just the same. Fair, fair, fair. Then Katara offers Aang some watermelon juice, which you mentioned, which pisses off Zuko, who compares them all to snail sloths. A a lot of animal portmanteaus to start the episode. Yeah, it's almost like they had they had like a list of animal portmanteaus they had come up with. And they're like, oh, wait, this is the finale. They're like, ah, shoot. Okay, well, we're going to have a lion turtle. We're going to have a tiger dillo, a snail sloth. And the writers were like, really? Like, we're going to put all these in? There's some guy in the background who just like came up with like 20 that day. <laughs> True. And he just realized this was the last opportunity for him to use all of them. You're right. I know. He's like, oh, I thought we had like a, another season that we were doing. They're like, no, nah, we didn't get it. And he's like, okay, well, this was going to be in book four, episode one. So I guess we got to, we got to put them all in right now. 
Do you think there should have been a book four or you think they ended at the perfect time, like Seinfeld, for example? You know, I would have enjoyed a book four. I think we saw the war for so long. We saw so much of that sort of stuff going on. I would have liked to see like a sort of, uh, you know, Aang after the war. Like, what does he do afterwards? How does he, you know, set up Republic City? How does he navigate all of these like hardships afterwards? I would have liked to see it. What about you, Zach? I would have liked to see it too, just because I remember when I first finished Avatar, I was craving more. I was like, ah, oh, this can't be it. There must be more. So I would have liked to see it too, but hey, at least we have the comics that do directly continue from them. So not all is lost here. Yeah, no, I think that they do a pretty good job of like filling in that gap of space between uh, Aang and Korra uh, with a lot of like different, you know, comics, stories, stuff like that. But it would have been nice to see, uh, you know. What what can you do? Uh, I'm being pretty picky here when I'm saying that I wanted more. Fair, fair, fair. Um, anyway, so then, uh, yeah, they decide that they're going to have like this whole, uh, this whole, I don't know, beach day. Uh, Sokka decides like, all right, time to party. Uh, and he goes, he's already in his bathing suit as well. Uh, at least he's prepared. Yeah, we have a cool transition because we see Sokka taking off his shirt and jumping and then it cuts to him like jumping directly into the water. So I thought that was a nice transition from the animators. Yeah, yeah. I I thought this was like a a fun little scene they had. They like try to put in a lot of jokes here. I didn't really find them that funny, uh, but they had a lot of like small little small jokes like, you know, the different sand sculptures and all that. Like uh, they really try to be funny. Yeah, and then we see Katara display some ice boarding techniques, which were pretty dope. I mean, we said she could be a pro athlete before. We compared her to basketball players and gymnasts and a bunch of things. But could she have been a pro surfer as well? Uh, Maybe. You know, I don't know what it takes to be a pro surfer. This is probably the sport that I know about the least amount. But you know what? I'm sure she could do it. Yeah, I feel like if you're a waterbender, that just gives you such an edge over any other surfer. So I think Katara could be the best surfer we've ever seen. Yeah, although then like you're bending both the wave and you're going through it, like it does take away some of the mystique away from it. So I'm not really sure I'd want to see, uh, you know, I'd I'd want to see that. True, it's kind of cheating in a way. So yeah. you might be right about that. All right, I'm out. N- none of that for me. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, one other thing that we see that's pretty impressive is uh, Toph with her sand bending. Uh, she creates an entire replica of Bossing Say. Now, it's a very impressive feat to be able to do this. What's more impressive is the memory to be able to just memorize the entire layout of a massive city and recreate it. Yeah, this was insanely impressive from Toph, especially considering she can't see. So how does she even like she's able how does she know how like Bosco and the Earth King look like exactly to a T almost? She's able to replicate them. Yeah, it's uh, it's a weird one. You know, it's very impressive. Uh, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, it is. You know, it's very impressive bending wise, but it's much, much more impressive, you know, what she's able to do with her mind. Uh, so good for her. Not nah, great for Toph, honestly. She yeah. one ups, she one ups Ang here because Ang builds an Oppa sculpture that looks pretty on point too. But her rendering of the bossing say is just way better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he does fine. Like, but, uh, nothing, nothing compared to like what, what Toph does here. Uh, but let's just say it's a lot better than the uh, what uh, Aang dubs a blubbering blob monster uh, that Sokka creates. 
Yeah, and it's supposed to be Suki, and Suki is so sweet and isn't offended by this hideous monstrosity at all. If I had a significant other and they built me a statue like this that looked nothing like me, I'd be a little more offended. Do you want uh, significant others to build you a statue? No, 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 or a sculpture in this case. No, not really, but if they did, I'd hope it looks a little like me, not like that. You ever see that bust of Cristiano Ronaldo that just looks like Scooby-Doo? It just looks horrible. Yes, uh, pretty funny, honestly. Um, yeah, so I, I think actually I would uh, be happy if the sculpture didn't look like me. I think it's a little creepy to make a sculpture of me. Um, I'm not sure that really fits my vibe, honestly. Is uh, Yeah, I, I don't really want a sculpture of me at all, actually. That's fair. That's fair. Like I said, I don't really want a sculpture either myself, but if someone is putting the time in to build it, I would hope it looks a little bit like me. That's all. Yeah. No, I, I respect it. You know, if you're going to put in the work, you got to you got to do it well. Uh, Sokka clearly doesn't do that. Um, anyway, uh, Aang, uh, you know, he's having a great time. Uh, they're all having a great time. Everyone except for Zuko. Zuko is really mad. Uh, he actually like hits his breaking point and he starts just like, uh, destroying stuff, you know, shooting fire at Aang, uh, trying to teach him a lesson. He destroys all of these sculptures. He starts attacking him, firing blasts at him, uh, chasing Aang down. Now, I don't know, like, uh, if he tried to use his words, it didn't really seem like he used his words enough, but like, I don't know, dude, like, you can't be this angry. Yeah, this is pretty, I don't know, dumb for Zuko to just start attacking Aang for no reason. He should have just confronted him and just been like, yo, the wars or the Souls' Comet is coming in three days. What are you doing? He should have just confronted him with his words, like you're saying, which he ends up doing. But after he like starts a long, drawn out fight with him. Yeah, it just seemed like, uh, well, what are we accomplishing here? Like, yeah, OK, now you've burned some of the house like you've just uh, taken some of Aang's energy like you know, someone could have gotten hurt. It's like, it's just like best case, like things aren't going very well. I was not very impressed by uh, Zuko here. And all of this comes because Zuko's really annoyed uh, because Sozin's Comet's coming in three days and everyone else is like, uh, you know, thinking they're going to fight or wait to fight the Fire Lord until after the Comet. How will they not have this conversation until three days from now? Like, you know, Sokka had this whole plan before uh, with the Day of Black Sun. How did they not go over the plan one time in the past few weeks? Yeah, this was quite unclear to me as well. And not only how did they not go over the plan, how did they not go over it with Zuko at all? Why did yeah. they just leave Zuko in the dark here? Yeah, well, I was you, a little confused by this as well. You would have hoped that uh, Zuko would have at least asked, like, hey, you know, what's the plan? Uh, hey, I have these, like, you know, secrets that I know from the Fire Nation when I was there earlier. I can go ahead and tell you. Like, I don't know. There's a whole exchange of information that happens right now. Honestly, it should have happened weeks ago. I, I just I don't even get how they got this far. Yeah, so Zuko gets conf- after this long drawn out sequence of Zuko chasing down Aang. Zuko gets confronted by Katara, who asks what's wrong with him. To which he responds like, "Oh, it's ridiculous. We're having a beach party three days away from Sozin's comet." Then Aang reveals that they've actually decided they're going to fight Ozai after Sozin's comet because he isn't ready at the moment. Which seems like a reasonable thing. Like I think without the information that they're going to use those in comments to destroy the world, like it makes a lot of sense to wait if they could. Yeah, I agree. But then Zuko reveals that because Katara's like, oh, things can't get any worse. The Fire Nation's already won because they took over Bossing Say. But Zuko disagrees. And he says things are going to get a lot worse because then he goes on to explain. Uh, we get a flashback to the war meeting from a couple of episodes ago. And then 
he goes yeah. on to explain all about it. Yeah, and he's just sitting on that information. Like, this is information that everyone would have wanted to know. He didn't think to tell anyone. I think this is on Zuko. You know, if we're if we're doling out blame here, I'm giving a, a fat serving of it to Zuko. Yeah, yeah, I kind of agree with you. Zuko, A, attacking Aang for no reason, and B, not telling anybody about Ozai's plan. Yeah, negative points to Zuko yeah. here. LVP of the first episode, for sure. Take the L. Um, anyway, so then they, they say this whole thing, they eventually decide, okay, uh, we need to go, we need to attack, uh, the fire Lord before, uh, we flash back to Zuko in this war meeting. We found out that the war meeting, uh, they come up with this plan to like destroy the entire world. Essentially. Um, Azula actually comes up with it. I, I think, uh, right. Yeah. Azula says they should burn. She's like, she chimes in. She's like, we should take their hope and their precious land and burn it to the ground. And then Ozai's like, hmm, yes, we should burn it to the ground. Good idea, Azula. <laughs> pretty much. I mean, she's, uh, she's pretty smart coming up with these, uh, these like schemes and such. Like she's a good strategist. I think she would have been a good fire lord had she not, uh, you know, gone off the deep end kind of. But is this, is this really that smart to be like, Oh, let's just burn it to the ground. I don't know if that's like necessarily some smart military strategy at work. That's just Azula being like her sadistic, lovable self that we all know and love at this point. I, I feel like it is good strategy. I mean, like there's a, you know, there's like a, a force that's rebelling against you. You're having a hard time keeping everyone in line. It's like, okay, why not just take them all out? Like, I don't know. Like it, it seems like a way to break their will uh, and like at least stop spending resources on this war. Yeah, I suppose. I guess you've convinced me it's not the worst plan. There you go. Ardent uh, Azula defender over here. <laughs> nice. Uh, anyway, so we hear this uh, from the meeting. Then we flash uh, back to Team Avatar. Uh, they say, okay, we're going to take down the Fire Lord. Um and great. Aang's not really feeling uh, up to snuff. He's not really feeling excited about this. Uh, yeah, it seems like he's not very much on board. Uh, but hey, we got Sokka here to uh, to get the team in order. He says, Team Avatar is back. We have air, water, earth, fire, fan, and sword. <laughs> yep, they, ha- they do have all those things. Yeah. He left out Momo and Appa, which is a little disrespectful because if you're going to leave in like a uh, fan and sword, you need to at least include like, uh, you know, lemur and, and flying bison. Yeah, that's true. Or at least include Appa at the very least because Appa is always a big mainstay in all these battles, putting in work himself. So, hey, Momo's help, helped in fights. He fought a hawk once. Uh, he's like stolen some stuff. He's been helpful. I guess, but I think on a scale of who's doing way more work, it's Appa by a landslide. Okay, yeah, I I don't disagree. It's just like, why not dole out the credit? Like, why are we so limited on the amount of credit we can pass on? (laughs) You know what? That's fair. You're right. Momo and Appa should both be getting the credit from Sokka here. Give them all my love. Um, Anyway, so they decide they're going to fight them all together. Uh, They do a group hug. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. What what do you know your love languages, Zach? Uh not particularly. I don't really know my love language that well. What about you? Why do you bring this up? Is it because you're not into group hugs? Yeah, I'm not a group hug person. That's for damn sure. Uh, uh you know, I I'm not a huge uh, physical touch fan. I'm I'm mostly not a huge physical touch fan if it comes with everyone. Like if it's like a large 
uh, like a lot of people touching me, then that's like a no go for sure. Well, yeah, that's a smart stance to have, especially while we're in the midst of a global pandemic. That's fair. My family will go in for group hugs sometimes on like birthdays and stuff. And then I'll just come in. I'll be the last person to come into the hug. They'll just like squish everybody as hard as I can. <laughs> that's, that's how I group hug everybody. You group hug and you're just like, all right, if we're doing this, we're all doing this. Uh, in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. I appreciate it. You know, uh, that's not my approach, but you know, you got to have someone who gets in there and, and goes not too aggressive, but really like lets everyone uh, envelop in the, in the group hug. Yeah, exactly. My role of the group hug is uh, sitting off to the side like Zuko here. <laughs> nice. Um, but before the Aang is ready to fight the Fire Lord, they have to learn one final lesson. Aang has to learn how to redirect lightning. I like how Zuko's teaching him here. It really displays the uh, the like symmetry between Zuko teaching Aang and Uncle Iroh teaching Zuko. Uh, I appreciated that connection. Um, but yeah, I think he does a good mm-hmm. job teaching him. Not much else to say there. Yeah, Aang asks if he's ever done it before and how did it feel. Zuko responds that it felt exhilarating but terrifying because one wrong move and it's over. Yep, um, that seems uh, that seems pretty rough. That's almost like uh, my Sudoku record when I'm trying to speed run Sudoku. <laughs> one wrong move and it's all over. Yeah, that's that actually that has happened before where I got something wrong. Okay, I, I don't even know how because it really is not that hard. Like uh, to just like follow the steps. But I was doing one and I like uh, got a number mixed up and I like put a number like I put like two fives next to each other. Like so it was obviously wrong. And I did the whole puzzle like that. And at the very end, I was going to fill in the last number. I was like, wait, this doesn't work. And I was like, wait a second, this whole thing is wrong. And I looked and there are like two or three different errors. I don't know how I went so wrong. Yeah, because that's the thing in Sudoku. When you make one mistake, it is over in a way because you can't come back from that. Like if you make one mistake and keep going deeper into the puzzle, it's just like impossible. You just have to scrap it and go again. Yeah. See, you you know, you thought there was no connection between uh, Sudoku and Avatar, but there is one. Oh, wait, one the more thing I had in my notes when Zuko is like uh, running up the wall, he runs with absolutely like zero handholds. Like he has absolutely nothing. He free climbs this uh, like so impressive. There's literally nothing that he could have jumped onto. I am ready to say Zuko is the most impressive free climber in the world. Yeah, I mean, Zuko, we've seen him display these unnatural feats of athleticism before. He's had many crazy leaps. He had one most recently in, um, uh, what's that prison? The Boiling Rock. He had a crazy jump there. In the premiere episode, he has a crazy jump where he's trying to capture Aang. So, yeah, Zuko is one of the most freak athletes we've seen. Yep. Well, there you go. Uh, I, I agree. I just, we had to, we had to call it out because it really was super impressive. So. Uh, had to uh, had to call out here. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Usually, I'm, I feel like I'm the one who's calling out people's feats of athleticism, but here you are taking notes of it. Yeah, we'll see. I watched uh, the Alpinist on Netflix. Uh, it's like about a free climber uh, who mm-hmm. just like climbs up stuff, and like it's just fascinating to me why like people would want to do that. There's not a single bone in my body that looks at a mountain, and I'm like, oh, let me climb that with no ropes. 
Yeah, I don't know how people are able to do something like that myself. I mean, I'm just a terrible athlete, so I'd probably die if I tried climbing up like Mount Kilimanjaro or Mount Everest. But it is something I would want to do once in my lifetime. I have an aunt who climbed a mountain not too long. I think she climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, actually. What? That's crazy. That, yeah, wow. yeah, she she had guides and everything, and she was able to do it. I mean, that's extremely cool. I it's just like it is cool that people do it. I'm glad that some people want to go into the world and climb stuff. I just have no impulse to do it. Like people will invite me. They're like, "Oh, you want to go climbing with us?" And I'm like, "No, like not at all. I don't want to simulate <laughs> climbing. I don't want to climb. Like I just have no interest." See, I have no interest because I'm just so terribly out of shape. If I was like a more athletic, if I had the athleticism of Zuko, for example, then hell yeah, I'd be wanting to climb everything. But because I I have my doughy physique, I'm not willing to climb stuff. You know, bad news, Zach. I think that uh, what the climbers would tell you is that the only way to get the physique you want is to start climbing. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, You're right. To that, I tell them, screw off. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It seems like you don't want to climb that bad then. So. Uh, we can uh, hang out on the ground together. Oh, nice. Uh, as long as we're not in a group hug. Um, <laughs> Fine with me. All right. Perfect. Anyway, so he learns how to redirect lightning. Uh, I thought it was a, a little weird that Aang doesn't say like, oh, like shoot lightning at me so I can practice it. Because uh, like that would be the natural impulse, I would I would think. That's at least my natural impulse when I learn something. I'm like, okay, how can I apply this and actually do it? But I think then Zuko's response would be the same thing Iroh told him, where, like, it's way too dangerous to simulate it, and you should only use it as, like, a last-ditch technique, basically. Well, I I don't even think that uh, Zuko can shoot lightning. Oh, yeah, you're right. I forgot. We've never seen him shoot lightning. That's true. So I I was expecting something along that line, but, you know, we got nothing. Um, Then we heard that, uh, okay, Fire Lord, he's got to die. Uh, this has to be this has to be a kill. Uh, you can't just go and uh, you know take him out and you know be all nice to him, throw him in prison. You gotta you gotta kill him. This is really gonna weigh on Aang. We're gonna see this weigh on him in this episode and the next one. Uh, yeah, what are your initial thoughts on this? Like, uh, should you kill the Fire Lord or like uh, capture him type thing? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, you kind of have to end him in a way you have to make it so that he never is able to rot this evil on the world again does that necessarily have to be done by killing him i'm not 100 percent sure but you have to like end him in a way does that make sense uh, no not really like i don't <laughs> know why you need to why you need to kill him at all like people are so obsessed like oh you, you have to kill him like all the different avatars in uh, episode two are going to tell egg like oh you need to kill them like, I don't think so. No, I don't think that you need to kill him. I don't understand why you can't just capture him and throw him in a prison. If you capture him and throw him in a prison, though, he could still, like, with his political savvy, just, like, be running the Fire Nation from the shadows, I feel like. I guess. Um, I don't know. Like, it just seems like hire better guards then. Like, don't let him communicate with the outside. Like, I don't know. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of... Uh, <laughs> I'm not, hot take. I'm not a huge fan <laughs> of killing people. I feel like if you don't kill him, you have to do something like taking away his bending, which Aang ends up doing. You have to do something like that so that he can never do anything evil ever again. Because the, otherwise, the world is just going to be destroyed. Like, you can't just capture him. I don't know. I feel like you've mm-hmm. got to do something more than that. But it doesn't mean you have to necessarily kill him. Not really. 
I, 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 I don't know. I think we're just going to have to disagree here. Maybe we can think about it uh, next week as well, but uh, I'd be interested to know what other people think. I, I just, I never thought that uh, killing him was the right answer here. When I was younger, I used to think that there was going to be a draft in the military uh, and I would practice what I was going to say to prove that I was a pacifist. Like this would happen. I would practice like probably once a week. I would uh, like practice my speech. I would be like, no, I'm not going to fight. You can't draft me. I don't know why, but this is like a recurring fantasy that I had. You were just worried that the government would enlist manual conscription and make everyone serve in the war? Yep. And I, I was going to get out of it. I'm a pacifist and I was not going to kill. So like I had a whole speech prepared for when the government inevitably came for me at like age 14 and took me away from my family. See, I'm lucky. I have flat feet and apparently the military doesn't accept anybody with flat feet. So what? Yeah, that's what I heard. I heard that somewhere <laughs> that the military doesn't accept people with flat feet. So, so you're I saying good. You're saying that if there is like manual conscription, they'd be like, "All right, all right. So we're gonna take you and you. Okay, nah, sorry, your your feet are too flat. Get out of here." Yeah, I think so because that means I'm not a good enough athlete to be serving in the war. At least that's how I hope it would go down. I don't think that's how it would go anymore because I think most things are like uh, you know computer like uh type programs i don't think people are fighting the same way so i think you actually might get conscripted into the military you need to work on your pacifist excuse that i've been working on for years <laughs> sure i'll start working on that as soon as we wrap up this podcast why not? honestly i think your sudoku time is a pretty good indicator that you're not a fighter yeah true no no one waging wars and playing call of duty would ever be as fast at sudoku as me so yeah i know just show them your uh, high score and they'll be like whoa all right we don't want you anymore you're flat-footed and you play sudoku. <laughs> get out of here we don't want you <laughs> oh that's hilarious uh oh, anyway uh they're gonna have a whole military simulation here with team avatar uh they're gonna take out the melon lord uh honestly better name than the phoenix king uh, the Melon Lord is going to be uh, taken down. Toph is going to be playing the role of the Melon Lord, and everyone else is going to be, uh, you know, helping out uh, somehow to to help. I actually have no idea what they were doing here. Like, literally, this seems like a fever dream that Sokka had uh, as an idea, because, like, this never comes up again. This isn't the attack they plan when they actually go to attack the Fire Lord. Th- this just seems like Sokka wanted to, like, play with melons. Yeah, I kind of agree with you here, honestly. I I mean, I don't have much else to say. I think you're right. This is nothing like the way they would be approaching a real fight with the Fire Lord. So it's not a good training exercise, in my opinion. But it leads to some fun. Yeah, it leads to, like, you know, great fun. Uh, You know, Sokka starts going, uh, kicking down some stone statues. Suki's kicking some more down. Uh, Toph has thrown some flying flaming boulders at their faces. Toph's taking her role pretty seriously. Uh, she almost hit Sokka in the face, uh, which would have been like a pretty brutal hit. Uh, you know, fl- flying flaming boulder to his face would have been pretty bad. Uh, and then Toph just says, uh, you know, I'm not Toph. I'm the Melon Lord method actor here. Do we need to be concerned for Toph? <laughs> I think we're good. I mean, you're right. She is method acting here. I didn't think of that. I don't know why that's making me chuckle so much. But <laughs> were you a method actor uh, when you acted, Zach? Not at all. Not at all. Mm-hmm. I was not a method actor. I didn't stay in character at all. I was instantly out of character once we stopped rehearsing. What about yourself? Were you a method actor? 
No, in fact, I don't really believe that anyone is a method actor because it just it just makes so little sense to like go about your life just being like, oh, I'm this different person. Like it just it doesn't even compute with me. I don't think that I could do it if I tried. Yeah, I mean, either. But I do think method acting is real. Like famously, Heath Ledger, for example, after acting as the Joker was in such a dark place that he ended up um, dying. Rest in peace. Yeah, like I know people do it. I just don't understand what they're doing. Like when they're going to the bathroom, like how are they like a method actor? It just doesn't even make sense to me. <laughs> well, I think that's the one place where they could turn off their method acting okay. in the washroom. I would hope. I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, you would hope. Like in the washroom, that's one place that you definitely would want to. Uh, like riding a bike. Like I wouldn't want to. I would want to be in full control if I was riding a bike. Like there, there's all sorts of activities that I would not want to do method acting. That's Playing true. Sudoku, that's a bad one as well. <laughs> true. If you're method acting, you might not get as high a time at Sudoku. <laughs> <laughs> or you might do even better. You might unlock your uh, inner skills. <laughs> um, all right, maybe I'll try it um, tonight. Anyway, all right. So then uh, they're they're doing this whole method acting thing. Uh, Aang is able to, to jump. He's able to get uh, right in the face of the Melon Lord. Uh, but instead of being able to land the final blow, he chickens out. You can see his face transition uh, pretty well from like the sort of anger that he's got into like sort of pity. Uh, the animators do a really good job of showing his emotion here. Uh, everyone's saying like, hey, come on, take him out. Uh, he can't. Sokka comes up and squishes the melon uh, as he slices it in half. Uh, Sokka, brutal display here. Uh, very I don't know, very vicious. Yeah. Grossly vicious. Um, anyway, what, what were your thoughts on, uh, Aang not being able to take out a melon? Yeah. I mean, not surprised. Aang's got a lot of inner turmoil and angst. These two episodes with him struggling to kill the fire Lord. And what was interesting to me is how they shot this. So they have Sokka chop it off and then you like hear it being chopped, but it's actually not shown on screen, which I thought was cool. And then Momo comes in and starts eating the chopped up watermelon, which I thought was a funny little side detail that they had. Yeah. I thought that was a cute little, uh, animation gag they had. Uh, you know, I think it's a little wimpy that Aang can't take out a melon. Like, I get that he doesn't want to kill a person, but you, you know, I've been practicing my pacifist pe- speech for years, and I think I could slice a melon in half if you asked me to. You know, I've played Fruit Ninja enough to know I could do it. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, I was a little confused why he wasn't able to do it. I thought this next scene was really good. Uh, Katara goes and she finds a uh, picture of baby Zuko, she thinks, but it's actually uh, the Fire Lord himself. And everyone's able to see, like, uh, you know, this baby uh, who looks so sweet and innocent turning into a monster. Uh, I thought this was, like, a, a nice scene. I thought this was a much better way of capturing what they were trying to than they did before. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think this was a very well thought out scene with um, um, Zuko or Ozai as a baby here. Yeah. Before we get too far away from it, though, we have to say one of the, I think one of the funnier lines of the episode, uh, Guitar comes out saying, I have a surprise for everyone. And Toph's like, I knew it. You did have a secret thing with Haru. Just like out of nowhere. Uh, you know, Toph is a human lie detector. I think we need to stay woke on this. I think she might have had a secret thing with Haru. I don't know. I think, I think Toph just, just this came so far out of left field. I know Toph is a human lie detector, but I think Toph, this is some head cannon on Toph's part. And this actually did not happen. I don't know where the head cannon come from, Zach. 
<laughs> I don't know. I just don't think it's possible that Haru and Katara had a secret thing that nobody knew about. Except Toph and Katara and Haru. That's three. <laughs> All right. Well, where there's smoke, there's fire. So maybe there you go. <laughs> Lots of fire indeed. Uh, anyway, they start talking, uh, about like the baby Fire Lord Ozai, uh, Fire Lord Ozai growing up and how like, uh, like there's gotta be another way. Aang suggests, uh, glue bending. Uh, they make big pots of glue and then they glue bend. It's effectively what they do, which is like take away his bending powers by like, you know, you know, taking them away, uh, as opposed to this glue. What are your thoughts on the glue bending idea, Zach? I think it's pretty dumb, to be honest. <laughs> I think it would not work. And yeah, glue bending is not the brightest idea. Also, how would they even transport these big pots of glue? You have them on Appa's back and then like drop in with Appa, like flying through and like launching the pots of glue like they're bombs. Like, how would this even work? See, you're joking about that. That actually sounds like a great idea. You know, you can use <laughs> Appa as the like flying glue bending monster. Uh, you know, you can you can drop him off. They get trapped in the glue. They show him baby pictures. Boom, he's a good person again. I I actually think you've talked me into it. I was pretty against the idea until you uh, gave the option. <laughs> wow, look at that! My little joke turned into a feasible idea. I found this next line by Zuko pretty funny, where Ang suggests like, "Oh, we should use the big pots of glue." Then Zuko sarcastically retorts, "Yeah, maybe you should can show him all his baby pictures and all those happy memories will make him good again." And then Ang's like, "Do you think that'll work?" And Zuko's like, "No." And Zuko like yells no in Ang's face, which I don't know why that just made me laugh a bunch. Yeah, Zuko was all sorts of mad about this. Like, I, I don't know. Like, uh, give him a break. You know, they're trying to think of all possible outcomes here. Uh, I, don't, I thought this was, uh, you know, somewhat reasonable. Um, anyway, Aang really is struggling here because he doesn't think that he can take someone out. I'm pretty sure Aang's killed people before. Like, not intentionally, but he's, like, thrown people from such heights to where they definitely wouldn't be able to survive. Like, he's, like, knocked people so hard they must have died. Like, there's no way he hasn't killed anyone on this journey. True. Like, Combustion Man is an easy example. Like, Combustion Man is dead. Well, Combustion Man is, like, super, super dead. But, like, part of that was Combustion Man's fault. No, of course. But, like, he was in a battle with them, and then he ended up dying, so. Yeah. But, like, even in, like, season one, when he, like, takes out all of those ships, like, a lot of people had to die when Aang was a salamander. Oh, true, true. 100%. Yeah, Aang killed people. Yeah. So, you know, Aang is, uh, he's caught up here not wanting to kill people. Um, you know, I, you know, don't kill people. I agree, but it does seem a little bit silly that he's stuck on it now. Um, anyway, they're having this whole like conversation. Uh, he then goes, um, he goes off by himself, uh, to think about it a little bit more. Uh, he then, uh, goes to bed. He wakes back up. There's some chanting going on. Uh, he sneaks off like uh, it's a survivor challenge. He has to go sneak to the other tribe's camp to get something uh, in the dead of the night. Um, anyway, the, everyone else wakes up the next morning. Aang's not there. Uh, yeah, you know, he's he's nowhere to be found. Uh, vanished without a, without a trace. Yeah, vanished without a trace indeed. And so everyone wakes up and they realize he's missing. So they start to frantically search for him. They find his staff and then they find his footprints on the beach. No sign of the island that he swam towards from earlier in the night. That's long gone now. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it's gone, gone without a trace. Uh, they're not able to see it. 
And yeah, there you go. Um, he's gone. He doesn't have his glider. He doesn't have Appa. He did bring Momo along with him. Um, but that's, uh, that's what it is. Sokka's pretty convinced he went to the spirit world. That seems pretty reasonable that he would be in the spirit world. Zuko is, uh, able to quickly say that his body would still be there. Uh, so that's right. But honestly, the spirit world idea was like, a, it was a good one. I think Sokka's impulse was right. I agree with you. I think that's the best guess by far that Sokka, this what Sokka just said, that he would be in the spirit world. Yep. Anyway, they uh, are going to go split up and look for, uh, for Aang. Uh, on the Ember Island. Toph's going to go with Zuko because Toph feels left out, hadn't had a life-changing field trip with Zuko. <laughs> uh, it really is sad that we didn't get one. I feel like one more episode, we could have gotten that like uh, Toph-Zuko connection. That would have been very nice. I 100% agree with you. That's one of my biggest what-ifs. Like, uh, what if there was a Zuko and Toph episode? I feel like that would have been a banger of an episode. Yeah, I would love some Avatar what-ifs. I actually think that would be pretty great. I really like that Marvel series they had on Disney+, Plus, so I think some Avatar what-ifs are much needed. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'd love to see some Avatar what-ifs. I wish they had like something like that with alternate retellings of the Avatar universe. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool. Um, anyway, so then uh, they're all going to go look for Aang. Uh, they hear a crowd chanting Aang. Uh, they're super excited uh, to try to find him. Katara and Suki go to look. Uh, but it's actually the actress Ang and the actress Toph from the Ember Island players, uh, and they're not able to find them. Too bad. Yeah, and the faces they make when they realize it's the actress Ang was pretty hilarious. It was like straight out of an anime. They just have like the big cartoony looks on their faces, just wondering what the heck is going on. Yeah, I do love those sort of uh, like animated little jokes there. Um, anyway, we then cut to Toph and Zuko. Uh, maybe I actually wouldn't have liked the Toph and Zuko story because what we get is pretty boring. It's just Toph complaining about her childhood, which, you know, she did have a bad childhood or whatever. Uh, but so did Zuko. Like, really know your crowd. I don't know who you're complaining to. Yeah, that's a very good point. Zuko had as rough a childhood as Toph, if not rougher, arguably. Oh, I think way worse. If we're going to rank all their childhoods, like, I actually think Toph might be like one of the better childhoods. Like, yeah, her parents didn't love her that much, but like, I don't know. Katara's mom died and her dad went off to war. Like Aang was trapped in an iceberg for a hundred years. Like Zuko's Mm -hmm. like dad tried to kill him. Like Toph might have the best childhood out of all of them. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And especially complaining to Zuko out of all people who probably had the worst childhood out of all of them or arguably the worst. Choose your crowd, as you said. You're right about that. And then Zuko just straight up craps all over her sob story and is like, look, I know you've had a rough childhood, but we should really focus on finding Aang. And then Tom's like, this is the worst field trip ever. Yeah, I thought that was a step too far. I thought that was a little bit rude uh, for Zuko to say. But you know what? Toph is uh, Toph needs to learn like uh, when's the time to speak. Now is definitely not the time. Um, anyway, they all meet back at the beach house, unable to find him. Uh, they see they notice now that Momo is gone, and Sokka immediately accuses Appa. I don't know where this came from, but he was ready to accuse, just like Toph was ready to accuse Katara of getting with Haru. Uh, is there any indication that Appa would eat Momo? No, I don't even know if Appa eats meat. I also, yeah, I think he's vegetarian, probably. Yeah, I've never seen Appa eat any meat. So, yeah, this is a really weird take from Sokka here, <laughs> assuming that Appa ate Momo. And then, like, Azuko's like, Sokka, get out of the bison's mouth. As if <laughs> that's like a normal occurrence that Sokka is just in Appa's mouth. 
Uh, I mean, you know, if any of them are going to be in Appa's mouth, it's probably going to be Sokka just like uh, with some scheme that he needs like a bison tooth for or something. So I'm sure they've had to say that line before. Uh, anyway, they all turn to Zuko, uh, getting ready to, you know, give Zuko the mantle here because he's the expert on tracking Aang. Uh, so they're going to use, they're going to tap season one Zuko here to try to track him down. Um, anyway, they are going towards the, the Earth Kingdom. They're going to go uh, find some way to track Aang down. Uh, and boom, uh, they're going to see June. I guess before that, we get another scene with Azula and Ozai. Is that right? Yes, correct. Before they see June, we get a scene with Ozai and Azula. This is the eponymous Phoenix King scene. Oh, yeah, that, that does make sense. Um, anyway, so Azula rolls up. Uh, she's excited to go on the departure, uh, but she's got to stay behind because Ozai is going to lead the invasion by himself. Uh, he is now the Phoenix King. He has this whole thing prepared that when he like says like his line, everyone at the same time, they do this like banner change. They all like light stuff on fire. They all bow. How many rehearsals do you think they had in order to get this right? Probably a bunch when Ozai wasn't there because they're like one person gets it wrong or puts up the wrong banner. They're probably getting sent to like the Fire Nation Gulag. So probably a bunch of rehearsals, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a bit of rehearsals. It's surprising that Azula never found out about it, never heard any of the rehearsal stuff. Um, But there you go. Uh, You know, it goes off without a hitch. The one performance they do was Immaculate. Uh, we learn in this scene that Ozai is going to name himself Phoenix King. He's now the king of everything, supreme ruler of the world, uh, and Azula will now be Fire Lord. Uh, what are your thoughts on Azula's new post? Um, I think she would be a ruthless Fire Lord, to say the least. If everything came true and Ozai ends up ruler of the world, Azula would be a very formidable Fire Lord and would be terrifying. I think she'd also, if Azula became Fire Lord, hot take here, I think, she would turn on Ozai ultimately. Like, as Ozai gets older, just like how Ozai wow. turned on Azula, I think Azula would turn on uh, Ozai and eventually kill him. See, that's a what if I would have loved to see. Like, what if uh, the Fire Lord wins and we get to see, like, uh, you know, Ozai and Azula fight? Uh, you know, I could definitely see it. If Azula didn't, like, completely crack under the pressure, I think she'd need to get her footing uh, in order to have that happen. Uh, but, you know, I would have loved to see it. Yeah, it's just an interesting, like, what if to think about. Yeah, um, that is for sure true. Anyway, so then we see the Phoenix King. Uh, he's going to go and do Phoenix Kingly stuff. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, they're in the Earth King bar uh, and they see June. I really like they brought June back here. I thought this was a good touch. Uh, Zuko knows that the one way to track someone down is with the Shear Shoe, and the Shear Shoe comes uh, with uh, you know a very intimidating June. Yeah, and it's funny they find June, and then she's just like casually getting into a bar fight, like as they find her. <laughs> Yeah, you say casually. She really was casual about it. I mean, most of the time she's sitting, she's like, you know, not even like getting up enough to like, uh, you know, like put her drink down most of the time. Uh, the one time that she gets rid of her drink, she throws it in the air, punches someone uh, and then catches her drink and immediately takes a sip. Uh, it's quite an entrance that we see her from June. Yeah, true. I guess they had to remind us that June is this epic badass. I mean, which we already know from season one, of course, but it's nice to have the reminder nonetheless. 
Yeah, they do a really good job of setting uh, like how cool she is. They do a good job of showing her threat level and showing how suave she is here um, in this episode. But there you go. Even Toph is impressed saying that she's excited to see June. And uh, meanwhile, Aang wakes up uh, and he realizes that he is... I, he doesn't know where he is. He's, you know, doing his yeah. own, I guess. Yeah, he uh, wakes up and he's on the Lion Turtle's back wondering where he is. And then the episode ends. Yeah, so that is the Phoenix King. Uh, not too much uh, to get into there. Really just a lot of setup. Uh, pretty good episode, I think, overall in terms of like all the, the stories that it's uh, navigating. It's got like three or four different things going on at once, but uh, does a good job, I think, uh, and leads us into episode two. Anything you want to talk about before we jump into the old masters? No, should we rate the Phoenix King? Out of um, four, or are we going to do that at the end here? How how are we doing this? You know, we should rate the Phoenix King. Okay. And we, you know, let's do it right now. There's really no reason not to. Uh, yeah, that's I need to get the listener score. So if you can talk for like, I don't know, like three minutes while I get all the scores together. Sure. So if you want to ever write in feedback for us, I mean, the podcast coming to an end, but it would be nice if you ever wanted to. Avatar at Post Show Recaps is a place to do it. Or you can tweet at us at Post Show Recaps, or you can tweet directly at me and Jacob. Jacob is at JK Redmond, and I'm at Zach Muhammad 32. So yeah, leave us any scores, reviews. We appreciate any and all feedback. We also have a pretty active channel in the Dis Post Show Recaps patron discord where we have the likes of like Daniel Strunk and Sarah, former guest of the podcast, who are quite active in there. And um, yeah, it's a great time with all of us. So feel free to send in feedback to any of those places since we're nearing the end of this. So yeah, we want all the questions we can get for the finale. I know Sarah sent in a bunch of questions. We'll probably answer them on next week's episode just because they're related more so to like the end of the show and the end of our podcast. So don't worry, Sarah, we got you. Yeah. Um, anyway, thank you for uh, for the nice little stall there, Zach. I'm ready no to go with the scores when you are. Uh, I'll start us off. You know, I, I rarely do. Um, I'll start us off on part one. I think that there's uh, not a ton of stuff that doesn't need to be here. Everything that's there has a reason. Um, even though I may not be the biggest fan of it, I think that there's a lot of justification for why the episode has the stuff it does instead of the next three parts. I think it all cashes in well. So I'm going to give this a 3.5 out of four. You're a little bit higher on this episode than I am, even though I agree with everything you said. I think the episode is kind of a little bit boring compared to what we've been getting recently. So for those, for what you said and for what I'm saying, I'm going to give it a 3.3 out of four. There is some cool stuff like Ozai announcing himself Phoenix King and then the introduction of June, which when I first watched this back, I was like, oh, wow, they actually brought June back. That was, that was cool. I yeah. forgot that they did that. Yeah, I, uh, I I quite agree. I think the introduction of June is cool. And I like that they do a lot like saying uh, very little with that introduction. Uh, the listeners not super high on part one. Part one has the lowest score of all the parts, uh, at least from the people that have given us scores so far. It's a 3.1 from the listeners um, with the yeah part one getting quite a low score compared to the rest. That will leave the part one Phoenix Keen at a 3.3. Yeah, that's not too bad, though. That's like an average middle of the road episode of Avatar, I feel like. Yeah, which I think is fair. 
Um, you know, I probably was uh, weighing my score up a bit just because I do think it deserves uh, a higher score. Like, I really do think that it does a lot uh, in this part to set up the next parts. I think that it cashes in well. So I'm I'm, I'm happy about where it lands in 3.3 overall. No, I agree. And they're telling like three different stories. They're telling a story from Ozai and Azula's perspective. They're telling the story from Ang's perspective. Then we're getting like a separate story with the rest of the gang. So you're right. They do a lot in this episode and it makes sense why you gave it the score you gave it. Plus they justify why they go from not fighting at all to fighting like, uh, like in three days. Like they weren't planning to have a fight at least from the last week, but now boom, they're ready to fight. So they do a good Mm -hmm. job to, uh, to justify that as well. Anyway, we are now talking about the old masters. Uh, wanna anything else we need to set up before we jump into the old masters? No, the old masters starts off right where we left off. They're introducing themselves to June, and then June is like, "Oh, great, it's Prince Pouty. Where's your creepy grandpa?" Which, uh, to be if I if I recall correctly, Ira was pretty pervy towards June, so that's fair for her to call him creepy here. Oh yeah, I think there's like uh, all sorts of reasons that why she should be calling him creepy. I mean, there's like there's a lot of justification for why he was doing bad stuff. So. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not too upset about that. The line that I think is even funnier, though, is when June's like, oh, I'm glad you worked things out with your girlfriend, to which both uh, Zuko and Katar freak out and was like, oh, no, 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 it's not. No, no. <laughs> I that, was, that was cute. I liked your impression of them. That was pretty good. Well, you know, I had to, uh, I had to, you know, give the the feel of what it was and not what they actually said. <laughs> That's fair. Anyway, they're going to use June to track down the Avatar. June does not care at all. Uh, she's not excited about this at uh, one bit. Zuko entices her by saying uh, that the alternative is the end of the world, to which she's like, kind of uh, gives a, you know, a, like, a ah, fine, and, and goes goes ahead with it. Yeah, you know, one thing that surprised me right after that line is Appa and the Shishu surprisingly get along, even though once upon a time they attacked one another. Yeah, you know, Appa either has a, sm- uh, a short memory or is just willing to let bygones be bygones. But they do seem to be getting along pretty well. Um, uh, yeah, so that's, that's cute. Uh, we also we- find out the Shirshu is a uh, female here, which surprised me. It doesn't it doesn't really look like a particularly feminine creature, but its name is Nyla and it's a girl. Oh, I didn't even know that. I'm pretty sure that then the uh, the wiki misgenders them, but. Really? Oh, maybe I'm wrong then. But Nyla, correct me if I'm wrong, Nyla is like a female name, right? Am I crazy? I have no idea. I heard the name Nyla and I was like, cool, sounds good. It just reminded me of Nala from Lion King. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't know. Maybe I'm misgendering the Shearshoe, in which case, sorry, Mr. or Mrs. Shearshoe. My apologies. I'm just going to stay far away from Shearshoe gender talk. I have no <laughs> Uh, I, uh, okay, I guess I'll, I'll let it go. It's fine. I mean, I just have no idea. So yeah. there you go. Um, anyway, the uh, the sheer shoe, whatever gender the sheer shoe <laughs> would like to identify as, uh, is able to smell the avatar's uh, staff uh, glider. Qatar here calls it a staff, but it's definitely a glider. Anyway, takes a glider, True. smells it, and uh, is able to, I don't know, give up. Uh, essentially not not able to find this end 
Yeah, she just like walk or the sheer shoe walks around in a circle and just kneels down basically and like covers its nose. And everyone is confused and wonders what that means. Then June's like, that means he's gone. And then when she gets a pushback from Toph, she clarifies that he's like gone, gone. And it means he doesn't exist. Yeah, that kind of made me think like, why would June, uh, like have this, have this like, uh, you know, this one random sign, uh, that like she has with the sheer shoe? Like, why would she need to have a sign with a sheer shoe? Like, hey, show me when someone's gone. Like, has this come up before where someone has disappeared off the face of the earth? That's a very good question. And the answer to that is probably yes. She's probably just found, like, there's been a person who just disappeared, like, off into the spirit world that Jun was looking for. Maybe she was looking for Commander Zhao once upon a time, because we all know he ends up in the spirit world. And a minor spoiler for Korra, he ends up in the spirit world in, like, a fog of lost souls or something like that. So, yeah. Well, I, I guess, like, yeah, I don't know. It just seemed weird that, uh, like, June was able to so clearly interpret what it was. Uh, but there you go. He doesn't exist. Uh, just as we find out he doesn't exist, we cut to him on this mysterious island uh, where we see him walking around, Momo's chasing a squirrel, uh, and Aang is confused. He has a real, like, uh, Dorothy moment, like, we're not in Kansas anymore, where he's like, I don't really understand what's happening. Like, I don't know where I am. He rules that he's not in the spirit world. Uh, because he can bend, uh, but he still doesn't really know where he is. Yeah, and honestly, it looked really beautiful and serene on top of the back of this lion turtle. I kind of wish I could just build a cabin on top of the lion turtle and live there forever. Yeah, that sounds nice. I Okay, on my TikTok, there have been so many people who have like uh, moved to Maine and they just live in Maine, self-sufficient. They just like don't see people or whatever. And it's just like, I don't know why, but it feels like I'm being like advertised to, to where everyone's like, Hey, like, don't you want to leave the city and just live in Maine for the rest of your life? That's weirdly targeted advertising. If that's true. The only things I know about from Maine are from Stephen King novels. Cause I think he's from Maine and a lot of his books take place in Maine. Well, you're certainly not making a good case for me to move there then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just see like Eldritchian horrors popping up in Maine. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not moving there. I have no interest. But uh, yeah, I keep getting things telling me, like, move to Maine. And it, like, has these perfect, like, serene things, just like uh, the back of the lion turtle. But I'm not doing it. I'm not moving to Maine. <laughs> yeah, don't don't let the TikToks tempt you into moving to Maine. I'm not tempted one bit. Don't worry. <laughs> um, anyway, so, you know, Aang is off in Maine. Uh, going on a little bit. Uh, meanwhile, the rest of Team Avatar is confused by what uh, June meant when she said that Aang doesn't exist. Uh, she says he's not dead because he, we can find a dead person. Uh, he's just not. He's just not around. Uh, then she's ready to give up, and Zuko's like, "Okay, well, if you're not going to help us find Aang, can you at least help us find someone else?" Uh, and we find out that he's going to uh, get an old sweaty sandal to help find Uncle Iroh. Uh, yeah, and why was he keeping this sweaty sandal? But also, I just got to say, he pulls out this uh, sweaty sandal with flies hovering around it. And I guess, just like how Katara's got a pocket fish that she uses in a pinch, Zuko's got a pocket sandal that he uses. And lo and behold, it actually comes in handy. You know, it does come in handy. I'm not sure which smells worse, the fish or the sandal. But indeed, Zuko does whip out the sandal here. Uh, pretty funny uh, that Zuko was carrying it around. Not really sure why he would carry something so gross, especially not sure why you would carry around and not wash it. 
Yeah, that's a very good point. Honestly, I don't know why he didn't wash it. Just let kept it with the flies hovering around it. But oh, well, Zuko's going to do what he does. So, yeah, there you go. Well, thank goodness he didn't wash it because uh, the shear shoe is able to get the scent uh, and immediately uh, start tracking towards Uncle Iroh. Uh, we then see some shots of them uh, going towards Bossing Zay. Uh, they actually travel like quite a bit um, anyway. Appa lands next to the sheer shoe. They're near Bossing Say. Uh, June's like, oh yeah, your uncle's somewhere beyond the wall. Uh, you know, sh- uh, like we can't be too far. See you later. Uh, I think that maybe the reason why June doesn't stick around is because Uncle Iris too creepy. So she uses this excuse to be like, ah, you're close enough. I'll see you later. <laughs> I didn't think of that, but that's very, that's a very good and plausible theory. So I think you might be right. Yeah. Um, anyway, they decide that they're not even going to try to find, uh, like where uncle Iroh is. They're just going to camp right there next to a wall. Uh, you know, I'm not like a great at camping. I've been camping a few times in my life, but you know, I'm not a camping master. Uh, I have to say camping next to a wall does not seem like the best place to be though. Yeah, I think you're right. Also to bring up something different. Um, it's a pretty quick trek for them to go from the fire nation to Boston. Say there was like two days. I feel like, yeah. Well, I mean, it definitely, it definitely is uh, like a day and a half, I guess, because like uh, you know the Susan's comments three days later uh, with a timeline. Yeah, I guess it was really fast. Appa must be tired. We've seen Appa make a similar journey, and we had a whole episode about how like Appa couldn't uh, go past the canyon because he was too tired. So Appa's really carrying the team on his back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Appa's just putting in work here, flying mm-hmm. nonstop for them. Yeah, that's a great point. And imagine, uh, you know, Sokka didn't even give up a credit. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> terrible. Anyway, Aang finds uh, some random rock. Uh, he decides that this is the perfect place to meditate, and he wants to get some advice from Roku. Uh, he's going to go through and he's going to interview a bunch of avatars here as he's, uh, you know, really struggling with this decision on what to do with the Fire Lord. Uh, he first talks to Roku where he gets some advice uh, and here's that, um, or I guess he doesn't hear anything like right now. I guess we don't get a ton with, uh, in this scene. Uh, no, all, all we get is, uh, Roku doesn't know where Aang is, but he senses that Aang is lost in more, in more ways than one. And yeah. then Aang like, is like, yeah, I need to figure out what I do once I face the fire Lord. Then we cut away. Yeah. Uh, you know, silly me trying to skip ahead. Um, it is a little weird here that Aang doesn't, uh, like give, like, want any advice on how to get off this island. Like, he seems pretty chill, like, that he's lost on an island. He doesn't seem worried about that part at all. True. I mean, he does bring it up to Roku, but Roku is just like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Which is pretty funny. You'd think, like, the avatar in the spirit world would be able to sense where the other avatar is, but Roku just has no idea. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's definitely not the important thing uh, on his mind. Anyway, uh, we then cut to the next day. Uh, Everyone else is asleep uh, with Team Avatar. Uh, We see Toph, who's, uh, you know, uh, like a total cheat code. She senses something is up. Uh, She wakes up and she's able to uh, pop awake. Then everyone else is surrounded. We see this fire surround Team Avatar, but unlike most of the times where they get captured, they're actually uh, being greeted. Kind of a weird greeting that we get, though. 
Yeah, I kind of don't know why uh, Zhang Zhang here had to surround them with fire, but I guess it was just an interesting way for him to greet everyone. Yeah, it was extremely excessive. Like, there's absolutely no reason to do this unless you're trying to intimidate them a bit. Yeah, but it is pretty cool because they wake up surrounded by flames and then we see Piandao. Haku, who I'm still not a fan of personally myself, Zhang Zhang, who's a boss, and Boomy, my favorite of the bunch. Yeah, um, you know, we get the whole group. It's a weird group. Uh, we get Pian Dao, who is just like really good with swords. We get Paku, who's like an avid sexist. <laughs> yes. um, and then we get like two people who I think belong. I really do think that Zhang Zhang and Boomy are like the ones that really belong there, and they just needed to fill out the crew. Yeah, what was Zhang Zhang episode called? The Deserter? I thought that was a really underrated episode of season one. I guess we'll talk about that in our series in review podcast, but I really enjoyed Zhang Zhang. And I completely f- forgot about how good a character he was until me and you rewatched that episode way back when. Yeah, I mean, that really has been one of my favorite episodes to go back to. I mean, lots of jokes. I think the episode itself is pretty good. And then like the the completely unironic love of Che uh, <laughs> well. yeah that podcast was a lot of fun 100%. yeah i agree um anyway i agree like john john really belongs there uh anyway we go back now to ang and his exit interview for the avatars as he's trying <laughs> to understand what he needs to do against fire lord ozai what are your thoughts on uh what roku says here which is essentially like uh sozin took advantage of me i shouldn't have shown restraint I think it's good advice, to be honest. I think he's not like, none of the avatars come out and say like, oh, you have to kill him. But they all just give give anecdotes from their own lives explaining how they would have done certain things differently if they could have. And they're just uh, explaining to Aang, like, try not to make the same mistakes that they made is all. So, yeah, I didn't think this was the worst advice because Roku is correct. If he did not show restraint and discipline against Sozin, he could have stopped the war before it started. And he probably lives with that regret even in the spirit world to this day. So Yeah, but that's just stupid. Like, yeah, you could have, like, done that. But then, I don't know, like, you're going to go around killing people because they might end up being bad later. Like, that's just totally silly. Like, there's this, uh, there's this one comedian who makes a joke about, like, oh, what if you went back and you actually killed, like, uh, you know, if you actually killed someone who was like a baby when they did a horrible thing and you went like forward in time. Um, and then like, you know, there's just another bad person. So like the, the joke is like, you're a time traveler and you go and you go back and you kill baby Hitler, you come back to the present and then it's like, Oh, but like now, like I, would you go back and kill baby X if you could kill this person? It's like, there's always going to be someone who did something bad. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Should the avatar really go back and like kill everyone? Like, Probably not. No, but to retort, Sozin's not a baby here. Sozin is this avatar or this fire lord who's doing all these bad things, trying actively trying to take over the world. So I think like killing him or at least trying to stop him would have made sense for Roku. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like his best friend. Like, I don't know. I'm not killing my best friend. True, but they were estranged for like 20 years. I don't know. Yeah. At that point. And then his best friend ends up killing him anyways, or at least leaving him to die. So Yeah, I mean it's it's a bad it's a bad situation for Roku for sure. But anyway, uh the advice that he gives as he parts is that he has to be decisive. Um Zach, i know that uh like we cut back and forth a bunch. I think we should just stick with Aang's exit interviews for now. Is that something? Sure. Yeah, that's fine with me. 
Sweet. Let me so the next person, next person up on the docket is Avatar Kiyoshi. Um, we hear how Kiyoshi decided to kill Chen the Conqueror uh, because he was putting the world out of balance, and so she put it into him and it ushered about a lot of peace. And Aang's like trying to justify it, like, "Oh no, you didn't really kill Chen. You know, he fell to his own doom because he was too stubborn." Uh, and Kiyoshi's like, it doesn't matter. Like, I would have done it. Uh, like, either way, I would have gotten rid of Chen and whatever it took. Uh, this was brutal by Kiyoshi. I absolutely loved the, like, matter of fact that, uh, the matter of fact attitude that she had. Yeah, I feel like Kiyoshi is the only one who almost outrightly says, like, oh, yeah, you're going to have to kill him pretty much. I feel like she's the only one who's, like, basically giving that advice. Whereas everyone else, they're, like, a little vague with it. They're not necessarily telling Aang that he has to kill the Fire Lord. Whereas Kiyoshi is like, nope, I had to stop Shin the Conqueror. And you have to stop uh, Ozai here. Only justice will bring peace is the last thing that she leaves Aang with. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, a pretty definitive line here. The first uh, thing that he hears is, be decisive. The second thing is only justice will bring peace. I mean, that's like pretty clear, like a uh, pretty clear sign here. Uh, the next exit interview that we get uh, is Aang talking to Avatar Karuk, who's the water bending avatar before, uh, before Aang. Uh, you know, I did not appreciate the joke that he had in the beginning where he says he was a go with the flow kind of avatar. I thought that was stupid just because he's a water bender doesn't mean he has to be go with the flow. I didn't appreciate that. Right. <laughs> uh, I thought that was fine. I didn't even think it was a joke, really. I just thought he was just explaining about how his personality and stuff. No, because he's saying go with the flow as he's surfing. Like it was, it was stupid. <laughs> I, I did like seeing the world that he was living in. I did like seeing the different uh, avatars living a bit of their lives. Um, we hear now that the reason like uh, he was in a time of peace and then he lost uh, like the person that he loved to co the face dealer who stole her face uh, and he blames himself for not being active enough. Uh, his parting words are you must actively shape your own destiny and the destiny of the world. Uh, that one was just like vague. I, I didn't like that one that much. Yeah, it's. It, I agree with you. It's just vague advice. It doesn't really tell Aang what exactly he needs to do. We kind of skipped over Aang when he when Kiyoshi leaves. He tells himself he's like, "Oh yeah, I knew I should have asked Kiyoshi because he kind of knew deep down Kiyoshi would be like, yeah, yeah. you kind of just have to kill him.'" Yep, Kiyoshi's uh, very no nonsense there. Yeah. Um. Anyway, the other uh, avatar that we see. Um, or the last one that we see is uh, Avatar Yang Chen, who's the last airbending avatar before Aang. Uh, you know, the monks, uh, like, Aang is able to connect with uh, this avatar because the monks were, like, taught both of them that all life is sacred. Uh, and then Aang here brags about being vegetarian. He's like, I know, I'm even a vegetarian. And I was like, oh my god, this is why vegetarians get a bad rap. <laughs> Because of vegetarians like Aang just loudly proclaiming that they're vegetarians. It was like, all right, like, we get it. Like, you don't need to announce it to the world. You're not vegetarian. Are you vegetarian or vegan? I'm vegan. Vegan. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I try not to announce it, uh, you know, saying, <laughs> oh, life is sacred. Yeah, I know. I'm even a vegan. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I, yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Silly, silly Aang. Um, anyway, even though, uh, 
Yeah, even though that uh, Aang's a vegetarian, the advice that he gets here is pretty crazy. Uh, that the Avatar is not able to achieve this sort of spiritual enlightenment that the rest of the Air Nomads are because the Avatar has a duty to the world and not to yourself. Uh, this was, I think, the most like uh, most compelling advice that Aang has gotten here. Yeah, I think that onto is the most poignant advice Aang has gotten here as well. I think Yang Chen did probably the best job. Her advice to him is as such a selfless duty is to sacrifice your own spiritual needs and do whatever it takes to protect the world, which I thought is pretty sound advice, to be honest. The best advice he got, I think. Yeah, and it uh you know, it inspires Aang to realize, like, okay, I don't have a choice. I have to kill the Fire Lord. He seems pretty resolved after this meeting with Yang Chen that this is the right decision. Um, and there you go. Uh I, I thought that this uh this last scene was like quite good. I, I was uh, pretty happy about it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I it was cool seeing Aang talking about how the monks taught him to detach himself from the spirit world and then Yang Chen retorting and explaining to him how for the Avatar that's not necessarily the case. I thought this was a powerful scene in this second episode of the finale here. Yeah, it's also nice because Aang probably didn't get this part of the training uh himself. Like uh, you know, he only got the air nomad training and then he left before he got proper avatar training. Uh, and so probably in Avatar training, when he's going to the different nations and he's learning all of this stuff, they probably do like the Air Nomads probably say like, hey, like, I know this is what we taught you, but you have a greater duty. Like, you can't be in this for yourself. True, true. If he had a normal childhood and wasn't trapped in an iceberg for 100 years, he might have learned this lesson by himself. Yeah, well, don't complain to Zuko about that childhood. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, True. Um, anyway, all right. Well, there was quite a bit of jumping back and forth in the episode, so I'm glad we tackled it all at once. We can go back to Team Avatar now, uh, Sans Ang, and we can go through their journey. Um, sure, let's do it up. Cool. So Toph's pretty confused. Toph doesn't know most of these people. They were introduced before she was added to the group. Uh, so she says, "What's going on? We're surrounded by old people." Uh, to which I have to imagine that Pian Dao was upset because Pian Dao is not that old. Yeah, he looks a lot younger. He doesn't have any gray in his beard or his hair compared to everybody else. So, yeah, yeah. he must have been a little offended there. He's like 60 years younger than Boomy. <laughs> like, true, true. I forgot, he, I forgot how old Boomy is. Boomy's older than a century, so you're right about yeah. that. Like, Boomy could be his grandfather for sure. And Pian Dao's like uh, being called an old person, like... It's got to feel rough. I feel bad for him. That's like the OK Boomer equivalent of an avatar. Yeah, 100%. So the old masters reintroduce themselves, and then Paku reveals he proposed to their grand-grand again, and she accepted. How did you feel about this reveal that Paku is marrying grand-grand? Grand-grand should have turned him down. Grand-grand should have said, look, you're annoying. My granddaughter told me that you're sexist. Get out of here. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of wish Grand Grand said exactly that. But instead, she accepts him. And then Sokka is like, oh, how about we call you Grand Paku, which was kind of a dumb pun there. Well, his first idea was Gramp Gramp, which just, it just doesn't flow as well as Grand Grand does. Gramp Gramp just sounds gross. Yeah, I agree. I think Gramp is just a weird word in general. I agree. Uh, you know, I have like uh, a few grandparents. One of them goes by grandpa. And it's just like a weird, it's just a weird word to say. Like, I feel like, it, well, first off, it's not creative. So you will not catch me dead being grandpa uh, when I'm older. 
But um, yeah, like grandpa is just like, I don't know. It's just, it's not the, it's just not the word I would have gone with. What would you want people to call you when you're a grandfather? Do you want them to call you like pop pop or have like a unique name for you? What would you like them to call you? You know, that's a great question, Zach. I think, uh, you know, I think I'll probably steal my, one of my grandfather's names. He goes by honey. Um, so his dad used to, uh, come home from work, uh, and his, uh, like my grandfather's dad, uh, would come home from work and my grandfather's mother would always say like, Oh, welcome home, honey. And so all of my, uh, like grandparents, uh, like that generation. So my grandparents and his siblings, um, they just thought that like their dad's name was honey because like he was always called honey. And so they (laughs) called him honey. And so then, uh, my grandfather is called Honey, uh, so I think I'll take that name. Uh, honey, they, will they call you like Big Honey? That's a nickname of one of my favorite basketball players, Nikola Jokic. Shaq famously was like, "I'm going to call you Big Honey." Wait, he so, called him Big Honey. That's a terrible yeah. nickname for him. Big Honey. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's what he called him. All right. Well, there you go. Yeah, I might be Big Honey. Uh, what about yourself, Zach? Um, I think I'll just go with Grandpa Zach. Keep it nice and simple. Grandpa Zach. All right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's fine. Maybe you'll have a, a stroke of creative genius before then uh, change your mind. You got some time. Maybe, maybe. I prefer Uncle Zach to Grandpa Zach. You want your grandkids to call you Uncle Zach? Oh, no, no, no. That would actually be really funny. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like way older than them. They're just calling me uncle. That would be funny. Yeah. I mean, well, there's, so there's some like great uncles that I still call uncle. Uh, just because, like, I'm not going to call someone Great Uncle Barry. Like, that's too complicated. So I just call them uncle. So you can call people who are, like, grandparent age older than you uncle. True, but I'm not going to have my actual grandkids calling me uncle. As, excuse me, as funny a thought as that may be. <laughs> well, you know what? I might steal that one if I decide not to go the honey route. I think it's very funny if they just call you the wrong <laughs> name. Oh, fair, fair. Well, speaking of grandpas and old people, uh, somebody asked Boomy, how do you all know, or asked the group, how do you all know each other? And then Boomy responds, he's like, oh, all old people know each other. Don't you know that? Is that true? Do all old people know each other? I am surprised sometimes when I'll be talking to my grandma or grandpa or something like that. And they do seem to know a lot of people, uh, especially like in the town. They're like, oh, yeah, that's like blah, blah, blah's daughter. Like, oh, yeah, that's blah, blah, blah's son. I'm like, how do you know that? Uh, You know, all old people don't know each other, but I would say they do have a shocking amount of connections. That's fair. I mean, it kind of makes sense. They've lived their whole lives and they have like a lifetime full of connections with people. Yep. Um, anyway, PNL gives the actual information, uh, that they're part of an actual group, uh, that transcends the four nations, uh, and they come together as the order of the white Lotus. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, this is a pretty big reveal, actually. Like we've heard this whole white Lotus thing for a while here, but here there's like an order of the white Lotus, uh, that's like has all of these different members is, is a pretty big reveal right before, uh, right in the finale. Yeah, and they're a pretty powerful group within the confines of the Avatar, the last airbender universe. You have some powerful firebenders, some waterbenders, some of the more powerful non-benders in Pian Dao. You have Boomy, one of the most powerful earthbenders. So they have like a wide variety of like powerful members of this group. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely impressive. Uh, and we also hear that one of their members called a meeting and that is Iroh. Uh, so they have, you know, one of the better firebenders uh, in Uncle Iroh. 
Uh, and they're like, great. Well, that's who we're looking for. So let's go find them. Uh, but right before they go to look, they realize, oh no, someone's missing from the group. Uh, Boomy starts inspecting everyone and comes to the conclusion that Momo is not there. <laughs> yeah, this was pretty funny from Boomy, honestly, because <laughs> then he goes on, Sokka's like, yeah, he's gone and so is Egg. Then Boomy's just like, well, at least they have each other and then just flies away. Like he doesn't even give a crap that <laughs> Egg is gone. He's just like, oh, well, they have each other. Then he just flies away. Honestly, this just made me so happy to have Boomy back on my screen because you only see him for like, prior to this, we only see him really for like two episodes, basically. You have the episode Return to Omashu and then you have the episode in season one where they first meet up with him so it's just nice seeing boomy back on the screen and we actually see him doing some powerful feats of bending in this episode as well in the flashback that we're about to get into so yeah yeah you know boomy has like all sorts of like uh crazy stuff happen to him uh he's quite the character he's a lot of fun um you know he flies off here uh somehow socket is able to catch back up to him um he's able to like uh ask him how he escaped from omashu and Boomy goes and regales the tale. Uh, he says, like, during the day of Black Sun, during the eclipse, uh, he waited and then boom, he broke out. He used rock, uh, from like the surrounding area to bend and help take the metal off of him, which is a very clever use of earth bending. I thought it was pretty smart from Boomy. True, and it's impressive. It's, it's even doubly impressive the fact that he's able to bend just with his head poking out. So he's not using any of his limbs or extremities. He's just bending with only his head. Yeah. Um, and he's able to bend with his head, break himself free. Uh, a bunch of firebenders run up to him trying to uh, take him back in, but they realize they don't have firebending at the time. Uh, so Boomy takes back the city. Uh, he does a lot of crazy earthbending uh, when he's taking back the city, including like taking certain buildings and just like moving them out of the city. And he does this by like having them fall like the amount of collateral damage that he's doing to Amashu must be insane. True, but because it's been taken over by the Fire Nation soldiers, I guess he doesn't care what it looked like. There was like steam and like chimneys emitting from these buildings. It yeah. looked like they might have been Fire Nation factories to make like manufacture stuff for the war. So it looks like that's what he was destroying, these Fire Nation factories. And yeah, it was extremely impressive him just like bending them off the cliff side of Omashu. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely only taking the Fire Nation factories, but when he's taking them, like, he's having them go down other buildings. So, like, I'm sure they're scraping other stuff. So, I don't, there's got to be some collateral damage. But um, anyway, the biggest uh, collateral damage, I think, is when he sends a bunch of Earth pieces towards uh, Fire Lord Ozai's statue. He gives it a smiley face before ejecting it from the city and destroying the bridge. Yeah, this, I mean, this was pretty badass. What else is there to say? Yeah, uh, nothing much. I mean, he takes over the city. Uh, and then Boomy's like, so did you do anything on the eclipse? And uh, Sokka and Zuko are like, nope, not really. Nothing interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then Boomy, after he destroys the statue, I like how he does his classic, like, snorting laugh. And then takes a bunch of the edible crystal <laughs> from season one, which I'm surprised he just has on his person. Yeah, he must have taken a you know a bunch of it with him in the in the um, in the cell that he was in or in that cage. It is nice because it's growing. So as long as you don't eat all of it, it'll keep growing back. So it's actually an infinite food supply. That is so true. I did not think of that even when we watched the episode. 
now I kind of want to get some in my house and just, I hope it's nutrient filled. Imagine if there was like food like that. See, we were talking about GMOs early in this episode. Imagine there was genetically modified healthy food that just constantly kept regrowing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was candy uh, when they ate it in the Omashu episode. So I'm pretty sure that the only nutrients he's getting is like a sugar high. <laughs> Damn, that's sad. Oh, well, what can yeah. you do? I, how How is he eating all this sugar and he's still able to maintain his full physique? Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, he's on, I guess he does a lot of rock climbing. That's the only, thing that's the only <laughs> A lot thing. of rock climbing and some like avatar performance enhancing drugs that we don't know about. He is a genetically modified organism. <laughs> he is his own GMO. That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they make it back to old people camp, uh, and Zuko starts looking for Uncle Iroh. Uh, he goes, and uh, right before he goes and talks to him, Katara meets with him for a second. Um, Zuko's really like torn up about this. I realize like it's pretty crazy. He's not had a confrontation with Uncle Iroh since when he like talked to him back in the prison in like the first few episodes of season three. Yeah, that's true. No, it's been a minute since he's had a conversation with Iroh. Yeah. Um, anyway, he goes in uh, and he realizes that Uncle Iroh is asleep uh, and he doesn't want to wake him up, uh, which I think was pretty cute. Also, I feel like Uncle Iroh would not have been too upset if he did wake him up. Yeah, I don't think I would have cared. I think Zuko should have just woken him up. But then we see, we saw in the Southern Raiders episode, Zuko just has no problem with sitting somewhere all night waiting for people to wake up. We did that with Katara, and now he's doing it again with Iroh here. So, yeah, didn't he also do that with Sokka? Did he do that with Sokka? I don't think so. I think he just goes into Sokka's tent when Sokka was like oh, about true. to fornicate with Suki. Whoa, what? <laughs> 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 sorry i just broke jacob my bad fan. oh god um <laughs> anyways we'll just move on from what i said i mean i stand by it but I'm just no you're you're like totally it. right it, i don't know why it just made me giggle like a little kid <laughs> uh. oh man all right uh anyway he decides to wait up all night uh and um I'm sorry. I, no, it's all good. No, no worry about reset. it. Yeah, take your time. No rush. Wow. Um, all right. Anyway. Okay. We get to the next morning. No fornication has happened. Uh, <laughs> Zuko is sitting there. Ira wakes up. Uh, Zuko starts talking to him. Uh, he starts saying, like, he's so, so sorry. Uh, he's, like, giving this long apology. Uh, and as he's apologizing, we see Uncle Iroh, like, uh, come to... Uh, and just give him a massive hug. Uh, and Uncle Iroh smiles. Uh, Zuko is like super confused about this. And you can just see like the joy on Uncle Iroh's face as he's able to embrace Zuko. I thought this was really sweet. I appreciate that they didn't say too much um, to get the initial apology. Uh, and I think the the words that Iroh says here were, were really, uh, really sweet and poignant. Yeah. I, uh, I agree wholeheartedly. Like he tells Iroh that he, he's so, so sorry. And then Iroh comes in and gives him a big hug. And then Zuko asked, how can he forgive him so easily? And then Iroh explains he was never angry with Zuko. He was just sad that he lost his way, but he's found it now. And he's happy he found his way there. Yep. Um, this was a really sweet scene. Uh, very long overdue. And I'm glad that we got to see Uncle Iroh and Zuko make up um, before before we get some fighting in the next episode. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. 
this was um, a powerful scene. Yep. We'll, we'll go back to Aang now. Aang, uh, you know, he's been doing his interviews off and on throughout all of this, but now uh, he's going to see that the mountains are getting bigger. Uh, or at least that's what he initially thinks. He sees that they're just getting closer because the island that he's on is moving. Uh, he quickly surmises by, uh, you know, swimming underneath that it's actually an animal uh, that's moving this and that it's not an island after all. They're actually just on the back of an animal. Uh, and he tells Momo that it's the biggest animal in the world. Uh, is he like so excited about this to like get this in the Guinness world, book of world records? Like why does he care to see this animal's face? Um, I think he just wants to see the face because it's just cool. I don't know. That's a good question, but I think <laughs> you just, just that you see you to see the biggest animal in the world just a cool thing to do. It's like seeing like a blue whale. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess that is true. A bunch of people do go and like uh, they go like whale spotting and they just like look at whales. Yeah, exactly. I've never understood that. Like my least favorite thing on vacation to do is go to the top of a tall building. The the next thing that sounds so dumb is to go on a boat and just like stare at a whale. <laughs> I don't know because yeah, unless you're going, I'm never going to go swimming with a whale, so I don't mind necessarily. I've never gone whale watching, but I don't think I'd hate it. I wouldn't mind. Excuse me, I wouldn't mind seeing some killer whales in action in the water. Why not? But but like doing what? Like you can't even see them that well. Like I can just watch a nature documentary and see it way better. That's so true. I mean, I do love nature documentaries, so you're right. Like you're not going to get like the perfect shot that you do in the nature documentaries. The nature, do- the people filming those documentaries have like days and days of footage that's so boring they couldn't possibly use it to show us the like 15 second shot of it being cool. So like, why can't they just do that work for me? Like I'm not going to go watch a whale. <laughs> you know what? You're right. That's absolutely fair. But Ang is pretty happy just seeing this lion turtle. He's not. Like you, Jacob, he likes seeing big animals in person. Yeah, and I bet he would want to go to the top of like Sears Tower when he comes to Chicago. That just sounds so boring. Like, why are you going to go see the top of a tall building so you can like look at the ground? Yeah, I've never understood that either, honestly. I I don't like going to the tops of buildings myself. I'm kind of scared, to be honest, just standing at the, the top of tall buildings. I don't know. I don't like heights that much. Yeah, it's scary. Like you're up at the tall, top of the tall building. Like th- there's all sorts of reasons why it's a silly activity. Um, anyway, all right. Well, uh, there you go. He's gonna go see the face of a of a really big animal. Meanwhile, they're talking to Uncle Iroh about how to take down uh, the Fire Lord, or as Zuko calls him, the Father Lord, uh, which is a weird Freudian slip here. <laughs> yeah, it's like almost as awkward a moment as like when Russell Swan calls Jeff Probst Lord in that immunity challenge where he's like, hello there, Lord. I mean, Jeff. <laughs> okay, that's actually way more awkward. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the father Lord is, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a weird slip here. Um, anyway, Uncle Iroh says, no, I'm not going to take on Ozai. He's not going to take him on because if he does, it's just going to look like a brother killing another brother to grab power. The Avatar has to defeat the Fire Lord. This is a terrible take from Uncle Iroh. If you win the fight, just say whatever you want. Like you, you don't have to say that you took it over for power. Just abdicate the throne and just like defeat the Fire Lord. I have no idea why he is so opposed to this. Uh, yeah, I think he just doesn't want the world to stay in a state of war. And he thinks if he kills Ozai, there's a chance that the war may not end still. 
So yeah, I think that's his reasoning, but I think you may be right. It is an odd take. If he has the power to kill him, then he should. But then Iroh is also way older than Ozai. He may not be as powerful as he once was. Who knows? Maybe he just doesn't have the power to kill Ozai. Yeah, I mean that that definitely is true. He says like he's not even sure he could beat him. So I think that might be the the real reason why. Mm-hmm. Um, but Uncle Iroh has no interest in the throne. Uh, he says that the reason, uh, or that the person that needs to take the throne has unquestionable honor, uh, and it has to be Zuko. Um, you know, even Zuko is confused about this whole unquestionable honor. <laughs> uh, but Uncle Iroh is pretty sure that he's the only one who can restore the honor of the Fire Nation. Uh, so we hear now that Zuko is going to be the Fire Lord, uh, should all go according to plan. Yeah, and then Toph asks, but what, like, what if Aang doesn't come back? But then Iroh is just like steadfast. He's just like, Iroh will come back and face, or oh, not Iroh, Aang will come back and face the Fire Lord. So Iroh is just quite confident that Aang will come back. How does he know this? I have no idea, but hey. Yeah, I have no clue. He's just so sure that it's going to happen. He's like, look, uh, th- yeah, you know, Aang's going to take, uh, Aang's going to face the Fire Lord. That's fine. I'm going to take Bossing Say. Uh, and it's like, why? Like, this didn't even come up. Like, if, uh, if they do take out the Fire Lord, you don't even need to retake Bossing Say today. Like, you can do it tomorrow. Like, it just makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Iroh explains that when he was a boy, he had a vision that he'd one day take Bossing Say, and that only now he realizes that his destiny is to take it back from the Fire Nation so the Earth's kingdom can be free again, which is kind of cool how he came to that realization later in his life and how he struggled in the real, in the war as a general trying to take it over. And now he's going to end up taking it over for the good guys. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. It's a nice turn of events. Um, but I really don't understand why it needs to be done on the day, like, uh, of Sozin's comet. It makes no sense to me why they couldn't do it the next day, but whatever. Um, anyway, <laughs> uncle Iroh tasks Zuko with going to the fire nation uh, to take Azula down and to uh, to take the throne. Uh, then they say that, you know, uh, Zuko can't go alone. Zuko drafts Katara to go with him. Uh, I'm not really sure why Katara goes and, like, not, like, so- Sokka and Suki or Toph, but whatever. He chooses Katara as a first-round draft pick. She also would be my first-round draft pick as well. Um, so there you go. She's going to join the Fire Nation uh, part of the invasion. Yeah, I'm not surprised that he drafts Katara. I think Katara is the most powerful bender of the group besides Aang, who like doesn't count because he's the Avatar. Yeah. So yeah, I think this was a good draft choice for Zuko here. Zuko would be a good, he's a great athlete. He'd also be a good general manager. Would you look at that? Maybe even a player coach. Uh, <laughs> anyway, they, uh, they decide, okay, even if we don't know where Aang is, Sokka is going to come up with a plan. They're going to try to stop the airship fleet. Uh, so Sokka, Toph, and Suki will be on that duty, uh, ready to help Aang fight the Fire Lord by taking down all the airships. Um, okay, then they cut to a scene where Pien Dao gives him an eel hound. Again, another portmanteau animal. They really were shoehorning these in. I don't know why they had so many in the finale. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. Cool animal, though. The eel hound looked pretty dope. I'd want to ride around on an eel hound. It looked pretty badass. It was like svelte. It was like lean. Yeah, I, I agree. It was a cool animal. Um, that I mean, that much is for sure true. Um, anyway, uh, right before they leave, uh, Zuko asks, what are you going to do after the war is over to Uncle Iroh? Uncle Iroh is going to reconquer the Bossing Se and then reconquer his tea shop. 
Uh, I'm really happy for him. He's excited for his retirement. He's going to pl- play pie show every day. Zach, what would you do when you retire? Play Sudoku every day. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's nothing else to do. Play Sudoku every day and drink some tea, I guess. Yeah. Why not? Maybe Sounds play like-, like 2K62 or whatever 2K is out then when I retire. 2K62. Yeah. I guess they will keep naming them after the years. That seems weird to say. Yeah, I don't know why. I just chose the arbitrary number of 62. I don't know why that came Honestly, I'm still stuck on like 2K16. Like if I think of what year I'm in, I like will think 2016. And I think I'm always going to be stuck like that. Damn, that's interesting. No, I'm always just thinking about the... I'm on the opposite. I think like a year ahead, like when I was 24, I was just thinking like, oh, damn, I'm already like basically 25. I'm already old. (laughs) So I'm always thinking a year ahead in the future rather than a year behind. You're just rounding up. See, meanwhile, I'm stuck when I'm 18. So I'd rather take you, which is at least uh, somewhat accurate. (laughs) Fair, fair, fair. Anyway, uh, they decide, okay, uh, we're all going to go off in our different directions. Uncle Iroh goes to conquer Bossingsei. Katara and Zuko go to take down Azula. Sokka, Toph, and Suki are going to go take down some airships. Everyone has a mission. uh, And the last scene we get here is with Aang. Aang finally gets to see the face of this large animal and it's a lion turtle. And not only is it a lion turtle, it's a lion turtle that talks without moving its mouth. Uh, really just creepy here. This is honestly the worst part of the finale. I have no idea why this had to be a lion turtle, but whatever. Why do you say this is the worst part of the finale? Because I almost agree with you, but why, why is it the worst part, you think? It just makes absolutely no sense. I mean, it comes out of absolute nowhere. It's just like a random piece. Like it's not even like a piece of like uh, of Avatar lore that they had been building up to. It's just like, oh yeah, random lion turtle is gonna like give this like a uh, weird power to Aang. Like it just seems like odd. Yeah, that's fair. And can you decipher what the lion turtle? Do you know, like, when he so when the lion turtle speaks, this is what he says. I wrote it down. He says, "The true mind can weather all the lies and illusions without being lost. The true heart can tough the poison of hatred without being harmed. Since beginningless time, darkness thrives in the void, but always yields to purifying light." What does this mean? No, it means nothing. That's a problem. Like, <laughs> it's it's a bunch of words that mean absolutely nothing. One of the words that they use is beginningless time. I, I don't even think beginningless is a word. Beginningless time. Is that like the time before time? Like, I'm, I'm not necessarily religious, but is that like before, like, I, I guess created the universe? I don't know. Google does tell me it's a word. Beginningless means eternal, uncreated, having always existed. Okay. It's, just, it's pretentious. It's, it's, it's quite a lot. I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, anyway, we get a whole speech of words that mean absolutely nothing. Uh, then the lion turtle touches Aang's forehead and Aang's chest and Aang has like, uh, you know, some vision. Uh, I don't know. I thought this part was stupid. Yeah, we see the lion turtle put one finger to Aang's chest and the other to his head, which foreshadows the energy bending we see in the final episode. So they do set that up. I guess the lion turtle is imparting that knowledge onto Aang here. Yeah, but it's just like, why the lion turtle? Like, why couldn't he have learned this from Uncle Iroh or like from uh, some like other person that had already been introduced? Like, why introduce something random? But I don't know. I really do think this is the weakest part of the um, of the finale. 
of the four parts. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. And I also find that the lion turtle's voice is very hard to understand. I feel like I saw the creators talk about this in an interview, how they kind of like rush the lion turtle stuff. But maybe I'm just pulling that out of thin air. But I, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it doesn't make a ton of sense. We do see pictures of this before, but it's just like, I don't know. Like, it is very hard to understand. And yeah, I, it's it just doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah, without subtitles, I couldn't understand what it was saying, to be honest. Oh, well, there you go. Um, I sort of understood it, but also it didn't make sense to me. So maybe I didn't understand. <laughs> That's fair. Um, anyway, the last scene that we get here is Ozai. Uh, he is like, we get this whole close up of him as he's about to start. Uh, we see like, uh, you know, him say, uh, it's time for world to end in fire and for a new world to be born from the ashes. And we see him start to, uh, start to go on these airships. Uh, pretty intimidating with this comet coming in. Uh, a good place to end our recap now as we're excited to go through next week's episode as we wrap up. Uh, this really is like a nice arc as we end right before everything's about to happen. Uh, a lot of action to unpack next week. Yeah, next week, I think we may set the record for our longest episode. I'm not sure. I don't even know what our longest episode is, like two and a half hours. I don't know. Um, yeah, we had like one episode that was like quite long. I feel like the movie episode was a long one, um, with Josh and Kevin. I feel like I with Davis, comma, Will, we had a pretty long episode too. And with uh, BLG mm. on Sokka's Master, that was also a long mm. one. Yeah, those were really fun podcasts though. Yeah, I guess like the long ones are always the ones with other people. My guess is that this will be, uh, well, this will definitely be the longest one that we do by ourselves. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I'm surprised we were able to keep this episode under two hours. Look at us. Even with like 10 minutes of Sudoku talk, we were able to keep this at a reasonable length. You know, uh, we're not done with the podcast. We can go on for hours more if you want. <laughs> yeah, well, before we go on for hours more, I guess we should rate the episode here. Yep, that's uh, a good idea that you got there. Um, let's see. I've been trying to find out what our longest podcast was while, while we were discussing. I think our longest podcast might be like a two and a half hour mark. So we might, uh, we might break that. Did you see the lost podcast was eight hours long? No, I, I, well, I heard, uh, Mike Bloom mentioned that on the end of the year brand steel podcast, but yeah, that's crazy. Eight Eight hours long. Eight hours. Like if that was like an entire work day. You would go into work, you'd listen to the podcast, and you'd leave work and the podcast would be over. That's insane. <laughs> that is crazy, honestly. I can't imagine doing an eight-hour podcast. I would be dead by the end of it. I'm always like tired and like my mouth is always so dry by the end of these podcasts. I can't imagine doing an eight-hour one. But kudos to Josh and Mike, two of the hardest working men in the podcasting business. So, Well, I guarantee you that they took a break, right? Like, there's no way you go eight hours without break. I think they did three hours and then five hours. So I don't know. I don't know how many breaks they took. They did three hours and then five? Yeah, I think that's what Mike said. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Well, I'm excited about all of the end of year stuff uh, that we got coming up. Uh, like the, Or that we get to listen to mostly. Like, the brand seals fun. The best ofs are fun. Uh, but I'm also excited that we'll be coinciding our... Uh, end of Avatar as we're we're talking uh, the finale next week. Yeah, and it's so crazy that our long journey is finally coming to an end. It's I can't believe it still, to be yeah. honest. 
Yep. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, pretty wild. You know, I thought we'd never be done. Here we are. One episode of Avatar left. Um, you know, lots of, uh, lots of fun stuff to discuss. Let's, uh, discuss the episode that we're on before we get too far away from it. Uh, do you want to start off with, uh, your ranking of the episode, Zach? Sure. I'm going to give this episode a 3.6 out of 4. I enjoyed it more than the first episode. Zuko and Iroh meeting again was fun. Ozai's reveal as like the Phoenix King, even though actually that was the first episode, but like the final scene of Ozai proclaiming like a new world is going to come from the ashes. And then you see like the comet coming in and the sky turn orange in the sky. And then like the comet flying over Aang. I thought that was a really well done scene and it bumps up the episode a couple of points for me. I really enjoyed that final scene of the episode for so for those reasons, yeah, I'm going to give it a 3.6 out of 4. Uh, the listeners are pretty close to you at a 3.42. Uh, I'm a little bit lower, I think. I'm going to give this um, I'm going to give this a 3.1. I think the stuff that I liked the most uh, was all the stuff with Aang uh, talking to the different avatars. All the, like, uh, old people stuff was fine, but um, I don't know. Like, it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't as exciting for me. I feel like, um, you know, this was, it was fine. Uh, it does a lot of setup for the next two episodes. Uh, but it seemed like, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't as enjoyable as the, the first part, uh, was at least for me. Interesting. You didn't like Boomy escaping from the prison? I like the Boomy stuff and I like the Aang stuff, uh, when he's talking to the avatars. The lion turtle stuff really annoys me. I think it's a really weak part of the finale. It does, it makes absolutely no sense. Um, and then, yeah, I feel like, we didn't get the Azula stuff this episode, so I don't know. I feel like that next episode, uh, episode three, is probably my favorite one because we see like Azula's descent into madness. So there's really just like a lot to to land, and I feel like this episode does a fine job of keeping everything afloat. But um, I don't know. I just didn't enjoy it as much. That's fair. Um, but there you go. That is uh, The Old Masters. Next week, we'll be back to talk episode three and episode four of the finale as we wrap up our ca- coverage of Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah, thanks to everyone who's listening. I mean, well, the, and thanks to everyone who's listened alongside this whole journey with us. You guys are the best. We have wonderful fans. And thanks to all the people who consistently write in feedback and stuff. And you guys are amazing. And thanks for making this so much fun for me and Jacob. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've really had um, like quite quite a lot of fun. You know, all the different people who have written in has been like uh, like really great. It's actually really funny, uh, Zach. We had like someone write in a few weeks ago um, saying like, "Oh, hey, like you know, I've started listening um, with like a ton of feedback about the episode that we had just recorded." And it's really cool to see people like check in. Uh, I think that person's name was Caitlin. So thank you for writing in. But just all the people who have checked in with us on this journey. Uh, have made it quite a lot of fun. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, I saw that email from Caitlin. Long email. She really had a lot of thoughts on the episode, which was cool. It's yeah. nice to see that much passion from fans of ours. <laughs> I definitely agree. Uh, speaking of, if you have passion for the last few episodes of Avatar, please do write in avatar at postshowrecaps.com or tweet us at postshowrecaps so that we can get your finale uh, takes into the podcast. Yeah, let's do it up. I mean, we already have some questions in the hopper that we're ready to answer, but we're always open to more feedback. So please, please send in all your feedback and we'll definitely talk about it on the podcast. For sure. All right. Well, that's all we have for you this week. Zach, anything else we need to do before we let the listeners go? Nah, I think we're good. Peace out, everyone. 
Sweet. All right. Well, we can hang in there and so can you. See you next week. just the sound of that first sip of morning joe it's the sound of someone shopping for a car on carvana from the comfort of home that's a good blend it's time to take it easy like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes talk about starting the morning right just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget Mm -mm -mm. visit carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be convenient comfortable (laughs) 